0: This morning we have two scripture passages, and if you have your Bibles there in the pews, I invite you to turn uh, to Micah chapter 6 and Matthew 23. If you don't know where the book of Micah is, it's towards the very end of the Old Testament, so if you find the book of Matthew, uh, which is the first gospel, just turn a few pages back and you're sure it's a find, um, the prophet Micah. But I think we have the words on the screen too, so you can follow along. I invite you to hear these words. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings or with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And then also from Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Yes, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, but without neglecting the former, your blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Thanks be to God. Friends, would you join me in an attitude of prayer? Gracious God, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here, be found faithful in your sight. For you, O God, and you alone are our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. You know, one of the best parts about being a pastor is that um, on occasion people will just walk into the office and walk into my office and want to talk to me <laughs> and what I love about my job is that it is literally my job to see these not as an interruption but as an opportunity to talk and engage with people and to be honest I wish that people would come into the office more often so consider this your invitation come and talk to us we're nice to talk to we love it and as I was thinking about our topic this morning, uh, the difference between mercy and justice, I remembered a time not too long ago when a young man walked into our office and came to talk to me. Now, I didn't know this man. Uh, he wasn't a member of our church, uh, I had never seen him before, but he just was a guy with some burning questions, and he wanted to talk to someone about it. So I walked him down to my office and I sat him down at my table. And and he quickly told me that he didn't grow up in church. So he didn't know a whole lot about this faith thing or this Jesus thing. And so he started asking me questions. A lot of questions. Questions about the Bible. Questions about how to get his life right with God. Questions about what it meant to be a Christian. And I gave him the best advice that I could at the time but it was interesting as i saw this man sitting across from me asking these questions it became clear to me what he was really wanting to know how do i please god he came in that day and he wanted to make his life right he wanted to turn over a new leaf but he just didn't know how so he was asking the question a question that maybe you ask from time to time, maybe explicitly or maybe just within the deepest parts of your own heart. What does God require? What does it mean to please God? It was an honest and a genuine question. But as I've reflected on that conversation uh, this week, uh, I think it's highlighted for me something that I've noticed. That when... We talk about this in church when we ask ourselves the questions what is it that god expects and wants out of us it is all too easy to make it about us to make that question be an individual question and the answer to that individual question is always an individual answer how do i get my life right how do i save my soul Depending on what church tradition you grew up in, how do I avoid hell? Some of us grew up with the fear of hell put into us. And this question, what does it mean to please God? What does it mean to respond to God's faithfulness and love in our lives becomes a human-centric question. And somehow we've gotten this idea that the only thing that God cares about is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, of course, there is nothing wrong with wanting to improve your personal relationship with God. I think God is pleased when we desire to be closer to God. And this man coming into my office that day, he genuinely wanted to know, how do I change my life? How do I get on the right path? But friends, I think we sometimes make a mistake by understanding God's salvation in two individualistic terms by making God's salvation only about saving our souls. And the problem with this is that if God only cares about saving our souls, then all these conversations about mercy and justice don't matter. Because who cares about the world? All God cares about is saving your soul so that you don't go to hell and you go to heaven. But friends, it's bogus. God cares about far more than just you. And I hope you hear that as good news. (laughs) Because see, as United Methodists, we have always tried to hold in tension the two great emphases of our faith, individual transformation and social action. Okay, this isn't a new thing that we're talking about. If you go all the way back to the, to the beginning of the Methodist movement with John Wesley in the 1700s, he tried to hold these both together. The response to God was not just individual transformations; It's not just about your own soul. It's also about engaging in the world that God so dearly loves because God cares about the renewal of the world just as God cares about the renewal of Of our souls and we make a mistake whenever we overemphasize one and forsake the other now we live in a dualistic world we live in a world that loves to give us false dichotomies where we have to choose one or the other and unfortunately our politics don't help us here because we really only have two options and our politics contribute to this idea that there are only two options, and those two options are more and more diametrically opposed. Now, I'm going to make a broad generalization, and this is a very much a gross oversimplification of the matter, but I think you might agree that progressive people tend to speak more often about social justice, and people who tend to be a little more conservative speak more about individual salvation. At least I noticed this trend in the church. Okay, and this dichotomy, when we make it a dichotomy, either social justice or individual salvation, this is the thing that divides us. It's the thing that pushes us apart. But here's the thing that God is always doing if we're paying attention. God is always taking the things that we seem are diametrically opposed, and he's bringing them into union together because God does care about our own souls. God wants to transform us from the inside out, and God cares about the renewal of the world. It is not either or. It is always both and. And this is why ministries of justice and mercy matter. And this is why it matters that we know the difference between them and the important roles that each of them play in our response to God's action and activity in our world. So I want to talk just briefly today about the difference between mercy and justice. We have a graphic here on the screen. Um, I didn't make this. I took it off um, the internet um, from the Great Plains Annual Conference website. And and these just um, offer for us some helpful definitions for mercy and justice. Now, we might use these words in our own way um, in other parts of our lives, but when we're talking about responding to God's mission in the world, I want to suggest for us that acts of mercy, which is the gray box there at the top, acts of mercy are those acts where we are directly helping individuals in need. Now, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus was all about mercy. You can't go a single chapter in the Gospels without Jesus healing someone who was sick, feeding someone who is hungry, or exercising a demon out of somebody, right? Jesus is always going to people who need something and offering acts of mercy. And acts of mercy, I want to suggest for us, are always personal. They're personal because they involve the transfer of resources From one person to another. If I'm hungry and I don't have any food, Hank, you're going to give me something to eat. Brian, if you don't have any clothes and it's cold outside, I'm going to give you my coat and I hope that you would do the same for me. It's personal from one person to another. Now, the way that we often uh, are involved in mercy ministry here at Aldersgate is through our monthly mission collection. So if you have ever um, given food uh, to either New Covenant or uh, United Methodist Open Door, if you have ever given diapers or school supplies, or if you contributed to the sponsorship uh, support for the children in Africa, you have been involved in mercy ministry. And you might not know the person who is on the other side of that act of mercy. You might not see the face of the person in downtown Wichita who receives the food that you bring. But be sure, it is a transfer of resources from one person to another, and it is meeting a need that is real. And Jesus says that this is good for us to do, because when we offer mercy to others by providing for their needs, We not only love them, but we love the presence of Jesus in them. Very truly, I tell you, he says at one point, when you do it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are doing it to me. And so acts of mercy will always be necessary. I believe acts of mercy will always be a part of what the church is called to do to engage in the world. But I want to suggest for us today that if we only engage in mercy, if we only are concerned about meeting the needs of the poor and the hungry and the naked, our response to God's work will always be insufficient. It will always be anemic, which is to say lacking something essential for its wholeness. I want you to turn your attention to the orange part, which is where it talks about justice. Now justice ministry, as it relates to our Christian response, I want to suggest is the work that we do, in addition to mercy, to ensure the human rights of all, especially the most vulnerable. Now if you've ever been in a conversation with churchy folk when they're talking about justice, you have heard of Micah 6.8 because it is one of the passages that we love to look to uh, to describe the call to justice. There you go. Hey, you got it. Good job, Jackson. I appreciate you, man. Now, just a little bit of context here, because when the prophet Micah is writing those verses that we love to quote so much, he is writing to the ancient Israelite people who are in a very bad way. They're being oppressed on all sides by more powerful nations. They're not being faithful to God, and they are just having a really bad time of it. And they're asking Micah the same question that that young man asked when he came into my office that day. What does God require of us? What would it take to please God? Should I offer a 1,000 rams as a sacrifice? Should I give to God 10,000 rivers of oil? Should I do all the personal things to make sure that my heart and my soul is right with God? The prophet Micah says, don't forget to pay attention because God requires not just the personal side. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require, but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. See, mercy and justice go together because while we are called to meet the needs of the poor in our community, we are also called to work together to create a more just and fair world, a world where the systems and the structures work together not only to meet the needs, but to ensure the flourishing, the wholeness, the thriving of all of God's creation if we're just concerned with ourselves and not with the world that God has made, God's vision for renewal will never come to fruition. Now this is why we have a missions committee at Aldersgate and we have a justice team. The missions committee helps us be involved with acts of mercy and the justice team is inviting us to be more involved with justice. Because here's the thing about justice ministry, We cannot do it alone, and we cannot do it by ourselves. The work of justice is simply too large, and we are not powerful enough to make that kind of significant change. We do not have that kind of influence on our own. We can feed somebody, and that's a wonderful thing, but we cannot change the systems and the structures in that personal, person to person transaction. And that's why justice calls us to come together. And that's why Aldersgate is partnering with this DART uh, organization and faith communities all across Wichita to pool our resources and to pool our people power together to be involved in the long and important work of justice. Now, I think we need to be honest that mercy ministry is a lot easier than justice work. And that's why churches tend to be a lot better at it than they are at justice. Because it is easier to feed a family for a week than it is to make sure that there are no food deserts in Sedgwick County. Okay, that's just a lot bigger of a problem. And the truth is, I think sometimes we just like the easy win. And so we know how to do mercy. And so we can do that. But justice is the long game. It's difficult, it requires our commitment, and it requires our hearts. But my encouragement for us today is to not shrink away from the difficult work of justice. Let us not shrink away from it because it's more difficult. Let us not shrink away from it because that word has become polarized in our politics. Rather, let's lean into it together. Because we know that doing justice is an essential part of what God is wanting to do in this world, in us, and through us. Without justice and without mercy, embracing one another, salvation won't happen. In Matthew 23, Jesus warns the Pharisees against their hypocrisy. The Pharisees were really good at taking care of the individual parts of their faith. They knew how to tithe. They knew how to pray. They knew how to come to church. But the problem with the Pharisees at that time is that they were ignoring the weightier parts of Jesus' teaching. They were ignoring what I would suggest is the main point of this whole Jesus thing, that God cares both about the individual and the communal. So as you go forth today and you're thinking about what does mercy and justice mean to me, what does mercy and justice mean for my life, let us all continue to work on that personal part of your faith, to come into my office one day or come into Mitch's office with the same heart as that young man maybe, wanting to grow deeper in your personal faith with God. But let us also do justice. Let us also love mercy, for we have first been shown mercy. And above all, let us continue to walk humbly with our God until mercy and justice embrace in a beautiful kiss and we experience the fullness of what salvation means both in us and through us. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.